me, I hear that song that we just heard, and I just want to sing out with them. Jesus, you're the one who saves us. That is something that I pray will resonate, and the good news is we have an opportunity at the end to sing that together. But if you have your Bibles, um, I trust you do. If you can open with me to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. During the Christmas season, we have walked through a series called Fear Not where we have unpacked the three fear-not statements found in the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke, um, all surrounding the birth of Christ. And what we did is we focused on how the events surrounding Christ's entrance into our world um, exposed some of our biggest fears. And so what we did is we looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth's life and saw the fear of disappointment, that fear that often creeps in our in our hearts and in our minds when we're disappointed with how things turn out, when they don't turn out the way we want them to. Then we saw the announcement of Gabriel to Mary and uh, the fear of the impossible, that even though Mary was told what was coming, there's still this picture of, well, how is it going to happen? And this picture of the impossible. And then last week we looked at the, the fear of abandonment, looking at shepherds and just the picture of the cultural stigma of of shepherds, that they were abandoned by um, those around them. They were cut off from the temple. They were unclean. Um, even they felt abandoned by God. And yet, the only people other than Mary and Joseph that knew that night that Jesus had been born were the shepherds. And what we saw throughout this series is that the phrase fear not is not just a suggestion, a nice suggestion for us in the midst of difficult times. It is an absolute command from God, from the one whom nothing is impossible with him. So fear not, it's not just a good thought, it's a command. And just think about this. We've kind of unpacked this before. In the Old Testament, there are 613 commands given. 365 negative commands. And by negative, I don't mean bad, I mean do not do this. So thou shalt not or do not do this. And then 248 positive commands this is what you should do. So 613 thou shalt and thou shalt not um, in the Old Testament. And then when you um, walk through the Bible, you see that there are tons and tons of do's and don'ts that we come across in our, our Bible reading. And I, I'm guessing some of the ones I'm about to say come to your mind when we think about the do's and the do nots of Scripture. So one of the things we should do is love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Things we should not do, don't lie, don't steal, don't take the Lord's name in vain, don't give yourself to idolatry. Things we should do, we should love our enemies, we should love our neighbors, um, we shouldn't murder, we should do unto others as we would have them do unto us. So all of these things, and so certainly what we just mentioned are biblical they come right from the Word of God and they're applicable. We can apply all of those to our lives even today. But surprisingly, as we saw last week, none of those are the most frequent command given to us in Scripture. So if you were here last week, what is the most frequent command given all throughout Scripture? Okay, don't be afraid. Be not afraid. Do not fear. So that is the, the most common command found in the Word of God to us is do not be afraid. I think about this as a pastor and, and many of you as believers, you probably talk to people every day like I do who are afraid and who are anxious. People who are fear or who are fearful maybe of 
unmet expectations and those expectations staying unmet. Maybe they're fearful of rejection and being rejected by others or by God. Maybe it's fear of finances and not having the financial means or stability or maybe it's job security and fearing in that way. Maybe the fear is the obstacles that are right there in front of you and you can't see anything else because of the size of the the mountain that is right outside your front door. Or maybe it's the fear of of failure. Maybe it's the fear of, of losing a loved one and losing others that we love around us. Or maybe it's the, the fear of, in our own lives, of disease, of pain, of even our own demise and, and, and death. And regardless of what that fear is, we all long for, whether we know it or not, we all long for more of God's peace in our lives in the midst of our fears. So all of us, whether we know it or not, we long for God's peace. And several years ago, and maybe you can remember this and maybe you don't, maybe you've heard this, several years ago an encouraging teaching began to make its way around the church circuit. And that teaching was that the phrase fear not or do not be afraid appears in the Bible 365 times. And it was said one for every day of the year or a daily reminder for us to live fearless lives. And think about it, what a thought that is. There's not a day in our calendar except for leap year. You're on your own on that one. But every other day, um, you have God's word telling you, do not be afraid. That's just an amazing thought. Unfortunately, it's not a true thought. It's not true. Um, So if you've ever grabbed a hold of that or recited that, it's not true. Um, Although the word fear appears in the Bible some 500 times, if you take all the commands, um, fear not, do not be afraid, Um, Do not fear. And put them all together, they only appear some 100 times, a little over 100 times um, in Scripture. Now hopefully, hopefully that doesn't discourage you this morning going, well, what am I supposed to do the other 265 days of the year? If I only get 100 fear knots, what am I supposed to do the other time? And I pray that we are all at the point in our Christian lives where we don't have to hear God say something 365 times for it to be true. So I hope and pray that that is where we are in our lives. Consider this. Think about this. In Scripture, when God said, let there be light, He only had to say it one time. He does not have to say it 365 days a year in order for the light to keep shining. One time was enough for God to say, let there be light. And light says, all I can do is shine because that's what God told me to do. And so what that means for us today, regardless of the day, Regardless of the difficulty, regardless of the task, our command remains clear. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. And that leads us to the text this morning that we're about to read together, which is Joshua chapter 1. And let me give you a little context here of Joshua chapter 1. Moses had led the Israelites out of Egypt when Joshua was just a little boy. Moses was the only leader that the Israelites had ever known. It was Moses that confronted the evil um, and powerful Pharaoh. It was Moses who brought the awesome and terrifying plagues against Egypt. It was Moses who parted the Red Sea and allowed the Israelites to walk across it or through it on dry ground. It was Moses, by the command of God, who called down bread from heaven. And it was Moses who received the word of God for the people on Mount Sinai. Yet as we make our way into the book of Joshua, there is one major change for the people. Moses is dead. 
He's no longer with them. And it's a picture of what's going to happen. The people of Israel are probably thinking, what is going to happen in this moment? And in that moment, Joshua, who had been the second in command, is now given the mantle, the responsibility. Yet the problem for him is he had seen these same people even rebel against Moses. He has seen a couple times these same people said, let's stone this guy and let's just go back to Egypt. And so now Joshua's thinking, man, if Moses couldn't lead these people well, what am I supposed to do with them? Joshua's now in charge of leading these hard-hearted, rebellious people. And not just, if that doesn't, it's not, not bad enough, even more frightening were the battles that he would now have to fight against skilled warriors in the promised land um, with, let me say, with a people who had wandered in the wilderness, so a wandering people, and he was now supposed to take these wandering people and fight these armies and these kings, meaning, if you haven't figured this out yet, meaning that Joshua had a few reasons to be afraid. He had more than just one reason to be afraid. He could be afraid of the people he was called to lead. They were just rebellious. They didn't make him feel good about himself. He didn't get up every morning going, man, these people just make me feel better. They just complete me. That wasn't the picture. These, are, these people could kill me today. This is who I'm supposed to lead. And then he looked out against the enemies. Those people could also kill me today. So all of these fears, all of these reasons to be terrified, yet in the midst of all these reasons, he also had a command from God. So we're going to kind of keep the Christmas series going today as we look at this kind of the same command given by God to Joshua. And we're going to also use this as we enter into a new year, kind of what that looks like for us. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read um, God's Word together. We're going to read verses 1 through 9 of Joshua chapter 1. And it says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, towards the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this day as we say goodbye to 2017 and look, um, Lord, with hope and anticipation in 2018. We pray that we're able to do so, Lord, with this promise also hanging over us, Lord, that you are with us wherever we go. 
that we are to be strong and courageous, that we are not to be afraid. So just speak to us today, God, in a way that will bring you glory, honor, and praise. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So just think about this again. With Joshua standing on the brink of the promised land, he's looking out um, to where there are no less than 31 different armies and different kings. So he's looking out on the landscape of the promised land, 31 different kings along with their powerful armies, and Joshua is called to lead a people, a wandering people, to take down every single one of those kings and their armies. And Joshua, bless his heart, is seeking to continue on in the mission that God has given his people. And in the midst of that, God comes to him and three different times, in case you, you missed it, three different times God says, be strong and courageous. In fact, if you um, believe in marking your Bible, um, verse 6, verse 7, and verse 9 are pretty good places to mark. Be strong and courageous. And it's interesting um, that in Joshua chapters um, or Joshua 1, 2 through 4, that the word you is plural, and um, in verses 5 through 9, the word you is singular. Bible scholars believe that in the first four verses, every time you is mentioned, it's speaking about Israel, but when it gets to chapter, or verse 5 um, through verse 9, it's speaking about Joshua specifically leading his people. And just follow with me here. Think about this. Joshua had to be scared to death. And I believe that God designed it that way. There had to be at least one moment when Joshua considered God's command for him and God's command for Israel. And there had to be at least one moment where Joshua thought, I can't do that. Or there's no way in the world these people are going to be able to do that. There had to be at least one moment where he thought, this is impossible. And I think this is the picture that's before us as the people of God. Let me just say this. Our Christian lives and even the life of this church was designed to be put in a situation where from our perspective, we should be afraid. So our Christian lives are designed to where from our perspective, what God asks us to do, we should be very much afraid. For God often asks us to do the impossible. Now I know maybe that's not what God's asking you to do. Maybe God's only asking you to do simple things, like just show up to church about 26 times a year and you'll be good. But for most of us, if you read the Word of God, God asks way more of us than that. Just saying, just throwing it out there. Um, but God puts us, get this, in impossible situations where we're going to be afraid. Yet, because we are not our own, because we are His, because we have His promises, because we have His commands, because we have His presence to guarantee His task in this world, we are able to move forward in confidence. That's the whole picture today, and we're going to see this at the end. God, I don't know what God you serve, but the God of the Word of God will constantly always put his people in impossible situations so they must depend not on themselves but upon him now the problem is the god that we often serve never asks us to do anything that would take us out of our comfort zone which means that we're not really serving the god of the word we're serving the god that we created just to throw it out there so if the god that you serve in 2017 didn't ask one impossible task from you then chances are you might not have opened the word of god in all of 2017 or you might not have listened to one thing that i said from the pulpit so just keep those things in mind the god of the word will ask us to do the impossible so that we'll say i can't and he'll say of course you can't but i can but i can therefore you follow me 
So what I want to do this morning is I want us to take the three times that we see the words be strong and courageous, and I want us to unpack four truths that will help us um, as we face all that awaits us in 2018. So here we go. First of all, we are to be strong and courageous, trusting in the promises of God. So we're to be strong and courageous, first of all, trusting in the promises of God. God. So think about this. Where does courage come from when we're facing the kind of obstacles that stood in front of Joshua and the people of Israel? Where does it come from? And I love what God does here. God begins this whole picture by giving them not explanations. God begins by giving them a promise. In fact, if you look with me at verse 3, every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. Verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. It's all about the promises of God. The hope of Israel was not in their own ability to defeat their enemies. Their hope was in the power of God to fulfill His promises towards them. Just think about this. God had in the past, had promised this land to Moses. In fact, verses 3 through 5 are almost identical to the same words that God spoke to Moses in Deuteronomy 11, 24, and 25. But really, it goes back even further than that. For God had told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the same words, this land will be yours. Then to Moses, this land will be yours. Now to Joshua, this land I am giving to you. And the first time that God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. It comes with a guarantee, a promise that the land would be his and would be Israel's. God even spells it out saying from this area to this area is your land. God guaranteed it by his promises. Yet on a side note, notice something with me. God doesn't in all of this, what we read in in Joshua 1 God doesn't start with explanations. God doesn't give Joshua explanations. All that God gives him is promises. And isn't that what we want? Don't we want explanations? Don't we want God to say, I want you to do this, and here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen tomorrow. Here's what's going to happen in 10 days from now. Here's the 30-day plan. Here's the one-year plan, and here it is. And that's what we want. That's what we want from, from God. We want to know every step of the process. Yet understand this, brothers and sisters, God does not always give us explanations. But God does always give us promises. He always gives us promises. I was talking to a couple a few weeks ago, and they, they asked me a question, a really good question. What, they said, what do we do when we're trying to make a decision, and the, the answer is not in the Word of God, where we don't know whether to take this job, or we don't know whether to go to this city. We don't know what to do. How do we know what to do when the Word of God seems silent in our um, problem, in our difficulty? What do we do? And in that moment, it was just so true to think about, yeah, there are times where the Word of God is silent concerning explanation and moving ahead in this area, but the Word of God is never silent with the promises that God has given to us. Therefore, when you don't have a clear command from the Word of God, you do have a promise from the Word of God. And so we hold to those promises. And the the truth is this, faith is stepping out on whatever that promise that He has given to us, knowing that every step of the way, God is going to work every circumstance of our lives together in a way that shows that He is faithful to His promises. 
I love Numbers 23 that says this, God is not a man that he should lie. And, you know, it's an awesome verse for us to say amen to. And I, I'm, I say amen to that. But it's also, if we're not careful, we miss what God's saying. You're liars is what God is saying. You are liars. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not pointing to me. I'm saying God. That's what God is saying to us. You're a man. Therefore, you lie. I'm not one of you. I do not lie. I keep my word. I keep my promises. We are able to be bold. We're able to be courageous. We're able to be strong because we're able to trust in the promises of a God who cannot fail. A God who cannot lie. Which leads us to the second truth, which is this. We are to be strong and courageous. Secondly, following the commands of God. So we are to follow God's command. Success or failure in any mission often is tied to our relationship to the truth. Do we know the truth? Are we acting upon the truth? Look at what God says here in verses 7 and 8. Only be strong and very courageous. The second time it's mentioned. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. And here's the point, brothers and sisters. God knows that we are a people who are prone to turn to other gods. We are a people who are prone to manufacture other things that protect us. Or we are prone to seek success outside of God and His Word and His ways. Yet God is calling Joshua here, God's calling Israel, and God is calling us to seek Him and to obey Him, understanding who He is and what He desires of us. So the picture is that Joshua must obey the commands of God. And it's very interesting. If you were to read through the whole book of, of Joshua, it's really interesting that the success of Israel in the promised land was never based on their military strategy or was never based on their military strength. The success of their mission in the promised land was always based on their obedience to God's word. God laid it out in Joshua, basically said this, if you obey me, victory. If you don't obey me, defeat. God lays that out all the way through Joshua. You obey me, there's victory for you. You don't obey me, there is nothing but defeat. And so God tells Joshua, don't let the book of this law depart from your mouth. And in verse 8, meditate on it day and night. Meditate on the word of God. And I love this because the Old Testament gives us two parts when it comes to meditation on the word of God. The first part is you fix your mind on who God is and what God has said. So you fix your mind on who God is. And here's what we have to understand. It's all based on the word of God. God, we've got to be careful that we don't allow our minds to believe things about God that haven't been revealed by God in His Word. For if we're not careful, we grab on to what the world tells us about God. Everybody has a great idea about God and what God should do or shouldn't do or this or that. The problem is a lot of those aren't biblical. We have to know who He is. We have to know what He has said. We have to know that. But yet, that's not all that meditation is. Um, in Hebrew, the word meditate actually means, I love this, it means mutter. It means to mutter to yourself. And let me just go ahead and lay it out there today. How many of you, other than me, are, are people who find yourself, maybe even this past week, you, you mutter to yourself? Anybody other than me? Okay, a few of us, the rest of you, how many of you feel comfortable lying in church? 
I mean, most of us are a people who mutter to ourselves. Remember, it's not weird to talk to yourself. It's weird to argue with yourself. That's when it becomes weird. When you have an argument with yourself, it's gotten weird. But when you talk to yourself and you mutter to yourself. And so this picture of meditating in Hebrew is you mutter the word of God. You speak it to yourself all day long. You you um, replay and redo the promises of God over and over again. You mutter them. You speak of them. And as you do so, not only do they begin to penetrate your mind, they begin to penetrate your heart, and then they become out of your mouth even more strong and more powerful. So the Word of God is to be in our minds and our hearts and to be spoken out of our mouths. And this is a good reminder for all of us. Are we giving ourselves to meditating upon the Word of God? Are we giving ourselves, do we mutter the Word of God, or are you like me, I mutter other things? I mutter poor miserable me or I mutter complaints or I mutter this and I mutter that but not speaking the word of God over my life how how true are we to giving ourselves the commands of God I read something this week that really struck me at the heart and it says this hypocrisy and disobedience are occupational hazards to the work of God hypocrisy and disobedience are occupational hazards to the work of God We can't do the work of God and be disobedient to God. We cannot do the work of God and walk in hypocrisy. So we want to follow the commands of God. Then third, we are to be strong and courageous depending on the presence of God. So the third truth is we're strong and courageous depending on the presence of God. God. So the God who makes promises to us, the God who gives commands to us, is also the God who is with us. Let me say this this morning, and please grab a hold of this. God will never call you to do anything apart from himself. God will never call you to do anything apart from himself. God will never call you and say, I want you to go do something. I'm not going to go with you, but you do it. And if you are successful in it, then I'll come along and I'll get the credit. That's not what God does. God will never call us to do anything apart from himself. And this is really good because Moses had left his people, but God had not. And let me just say this this morning. The whole book of Joshua shows us something quite amazing. It shows us that when a man or woman of God dies, nothing of God dies. Nothing of God dies. When a man or woman of God dies, nothing of God dies. His work dies continues his work must go on and three times here um, in these verses God shows us and God declares that he would be present with Joshua look at verse 5 it says as I was with Moses so I will be with you that's one I will not leave you or forsake you that's two then verse 9 have I not commanded you be strong and courageous do not be frightened do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is With you wherever you go. That's three times God says, Joshua, I will be with you. God didn't just give the law and say, okay, y'all work it out. I'll see you later. He didn't just give the law and, and leave. No, the love of God and the power of God live every single day with the people of God. The love of God and the power of God live every day with his people. If God has called you to do something, then God will be with you in it and through it. You're not going to be alone. And this was huge for the people of Israel, and it's huge for us. For when the road was difficult, when the enemies were intimidating, when the 
battles were raging at their fiercest, God was going to be with his people. God was beside them, he was in front of them, and God was even behind them in every step of the way. Here's the point, brothers and sisters, when you and I realize and recognize and understand that the God of the universe, the all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God is with us, it changes everything. When we understand that he's with us, it changes everything. In fact, let me define it this way. When we are lost and do not know where to go, he is with us as our guide, for he is the way. When we are hurting and we feel alone, he is with us as our friend, a friend that sits closer than a brother. When we're in the middle of great trials, he is with us as our comforter, as our advocate. When we're in the middle of sickness, he is with us as our healer. When we're in the midst of overwhelming weakness, he is with us as our strength. When we are confronted by a thousand armies who seek our harm, he is with us as the commander of the army of the Lord. And when we've been overcome by sin, once again, he is with us as our savior, as our forgiver, as our restorer. He is with us. In fact, say this with me. God is, God was, God will be with me. Say it again, but this time say it like you mean it. God is, God was, God will be with me. Brothers and sisters, that's not just a happy statement for Christians to make. That is an undeniable truth. He is with us. Therefore, we are depending on his presence as we move forward. And then lastly, that leads us to the last truth. We are to be strong and courageous, living for the glory of God. So we're to live for the glory of God. So think about this. As we give ourselves to the promises of God, the commands of God, understanding the presence of God, as we live these out, these things lived out will always lead to the glory of God. I want to show you something. Turn with me now to Joshua chapter 24. I want to show you something, and I'll say this in closing. That doesn't really mean anything except it makes you feel better about where we're headed, that we are eventually headed to the end. So the last chapter in this book, Joshua 24, I want to show you something. And before we get there, let me me show you um, a little something else. Joshua's very name, Joshua's very name points um, away from himself and points to God. Joshua's name actually means Yahweh saves or Yahweh delivers. The Hebrew name Joshua is actually the Greek name Jesus. It's the the picture that, that we have. But the beautiful thing when we look at Joshua, Joshua was the first name, it's the first time in Scripture where we see a name explicitly given to someone um, that includes the name of Yahweh in it. And the point is it's there for a reason. And the reason Joshua's name says Yahweh saves because Joshua's whole life, his whole ministry, his whole leadership points to the fact that it wasn't him doing it. It was God who delivers. It was God who saves. Think about it. Although Joshua's name is on this book, he is the main character of it or the leading character. God is the hero. It's the point that we can't miss. God is The hero, every part of the Bible's history, every part of this book's history has God at the center. And when you get to the end of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24, and the people of Israel are now in the land. So they're in the land, they've conquered enemies. God speaks to his people. 
And in speaking to his people, God now declares all that has been accomplished. And I don't want you to miss this. We're about to read verses 2 through 13 together. As we read this, don't miss who God says is the one that accomplished everything in the promised land. Just listen to what God says here. So verse 2, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. But they, Follow with me here. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But to Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterwards I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, He, it's another way of God saying, I put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you and I gave them into your hand. You took possession of their land and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the sons of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you. And the two kings of the Amorites, it was not by your sword or by your bow, I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyard and the olive orchards that you did not plant. Nineteen different times God says, it was me. I did it. It was not you. And that is the point. God gave Joshua, God gave Israel the land in a way that only God could receive the glory. Just don't, don't miss it here. Think about the first battle that Israel and Joshua fought in the promised land. It was at a place called Jericho. Just think about that. Why would God choose that military strategy, the strategy that God chose? Why would he choose that strategy to defeat the Israelites? We read in Joshua 6 that God comes to um, Joshua. Or God, God comes to Joshua and says this, you're going to go out against Jericho. And what I want you to do is you're going to take the army, you're going to take the priest, you're going to take the ark, and you're going to have the trumpet players are going to stand in front. And for six days, you're going to walk around the wall one day. And on the seventh day, you're going to walk around it seven days and seven times, and you're going to blow the trumpet, and you're going to say and declare it as unto the Lord, and the walls are going to fall. Can you just imagine? Just imagine with me. Joshua standing before the army who were prepared, who wanted to do battle. And Joshua saying, hey guys, I know you're prepared, but the band has been working really hard. 
And so we're going to send them out. They've been, they've been coming up with some new stuff, some new songs. They've been working on um, playing their, their horns with some high seas like never before. They are ready to go to battle. So we're going to let them take this. And we're pretty sure that they're going to lead us into battle. Why in the world would God choose that plan? And don't miss it. What God was doing here is what God does throughout all of the Bible. He is orchestrating the events of his people so that in the end, only he can get the glory for it. Let me tell you what you don't see at the end of all the walls of Jericho falling down. You don't see the people of Israel high-fiving the trumpet players going, I've never heard you play so good. I cannot believe you played the way that you played. You played and it invigorated me. No, that's not what you see. What you see is at the end of Jericho falling down, they stood with their hands over their heads going, only God could do this. Only God could do this. We can't do this. We couldn't do this. Only God. Let me just say this this morning. God is glorified when us as his people take a step of faith based on his promises, based on his commands, based on his presence, knowing that because his name is at stake, he will make a way. God is pleased and glorified when we say, God, I don't know how we're going to do it. This is an impossible thing to me. But because you say so, I'm going to do it. And there's no other way around it, God. If you don't come through, it's going to fail. So I'm going to take a step forward. And God delights and is honored in coming through in those situations. God loves to lead us into God-sized tasks. God loves that so that God can receive the glory and victory. God loves that. Yet, let me say this. Oftentimes, fear keeps us from experiencing that in our lives. Whether it be fear of things or whether it be fear of people. I read a quote this week from Edward Welch. I just want to read it to you, but it can be adapted in different ways. But listen to what he says. All experiences of the fear of man, or really the fear of anything, share at least one common feature. People are big. Or that fear, whatever it is, is big. It or they have grown to idolatrous proportions in our lives. They, being the people or the fear, control us. Since there is no room in our hearts to worship both God and people or whatever it is that we fear, whenever people are big or the fear is big, God is not. Therefore, the first task in escaping the snare of the fear of man is to know that God is awesome and glorious, not other people. The first way we're going to escape the fear is know that God is awesome. God is glorious. Whatever I'm fearing, it's not. It's not. Therefore, I'm going to trust God. Let me just say this. Brothers and sisters, as I look back on 2017, there are resounding victories that we experience as a faith family that can only be attributed to God. There are things that we have done as a faith family, the small church that we are, that only God can get the credit for. Now, God uses people, but we look back and go, only God could accomplish this among his people. But let me say this. There are so many of those things, but I don't believe there's enough. I know in my life there's not not enough of those moments. And I believe in the life of this faith family there's not enough of those moments. In fact, think back on your own 2017. In what way were you strong and courageous as his child? What way did you stand for that which is true and good and right and 
trusted the promises of God. And then answer this. What in your life from last year, 2017, can only be explained by the hand of God upon you? What is it in your life in 2017 that can only be explained by the fact that God was with you? Is there anything in your life that can be, only be explained by the fact that God was with you? What, in, what events in your life this past year bought, brought God the most glory? And then think about this. What is it in this moment that God is saying to you? If you're hearing from God right now and what you're hearing scares you to death, then you're probably hearing correctly. If what you're hearing from God right now scares you to death, where you go, God, that's not me. You must be meaning to talk to the person beside me or the person in front of me or behind me. You surely can't be talking to me. If that's the way you're feeling right now, then there's a really good chance God is speaking directly to you. For he is trying to give you something that cannot be accomplished on your own so that he may receive the glory for it. All we must do is be strong and courageous. Trust in Him. Let me say this as we close this morning. I believe that this is a day that we must do business with God. When we think about leaving 2017, we think about moving ahead into 2018, I believe that this is the day that we need to do two things as we conclude the service today. First of all, we need to confess our sin. We need to confess our failure to trust God, to believe God, to follow God, to explicitly obey God. God. Let's be honest. Most of us, if God were to tell us to do something completely different than what we've always done, we'd say, no. No, God, if it worked 50 years ago, it should work today. And that, that picture, guess what? Wouldn't work for Israel. God gave them something completely different they'd never done before. And I'm not talking about methods here. I'm talking about just what is God calling us to do that might scare us to death. But we have said, no, God. No, I'm not going to. I like the way things have been. I like the way things were 10 years ago. I like giving praise reports and saying, back 13 years ago, God, you did this. I like doing that. I don't really want to have to say, no, God did something in my life today. And God is saying, but I want to do something in your life today. I want to do something in your life right now. But we need to confess, God, I missed the mark. God, I failed to trust you or believe in you. Why? At the same time, we need to ask God to do in us, whether it be individually or corporately, Maybe your prayer today would be, God, do in me, do in your church what can only be explained by you. And this is going to be a scary prayer, but say, God, put me in a situation where all I've got is you. And God, help me to believe, trust, and step out knowing that you will come through. That's a scary prayer to pray. But God is worthy of that prayer. And God will answer that prayer. And God will be glorified in that. So I'm going to ask the musicians to come forward. And we are about to enter into a time of invitation and consecration. But let me just say this as a people of God. I believe that this is a, a day as God's people. That here we are in this place of worship. As we're heading out of 2017 into 2018. What are we going to do with what God has placed before us? What are we going to do with this opportunity? What are we going to do as a faith family? Are we going to move forward in the promises of God or are we going to retreat? Are we going to sit on our hands and go, no, that's not what God is calling us to do? Or are we going to believe God even when it sounds impossible? What are we going to do? 
we're about to pray. I'm going to open this time up to a time of maybe you will come to the altar and spend that time confessing and asking God to do in your life and in the life of this church what can only be explained by Him. Or maybe you would just spend time in your seat praying, asking God for that. But I believe this moment is a holy moment. I don't know what you want from God in 2018, but let me tell you this, I want more. I want God to do more. I want God to do immeasurably, abundantly more. I'm not satisfied. I'm thankful for what God has done. I praise His name for what He has done in 2018. But praise be to God, I want Him to do more. I want Him to do more in my life. I want Him to do more in your life. I want Him to do more in this, His church's life. And I want Him to receive the glory for it all. I pray that that would be our prayer today. So if you can stand with me in this moment. We're going to pray and then enter into a time of invitation. The altars will be open whatever God is calling you to do. But I pray in this moment that we would be a people that would seek God like never before. So Father, we come before you. Come before you in the midst of this, your promise, your word, your command to be strong and courageous. God, we don't want to miss what you're doing. We don't want to miss your work, God. Lord, those questions just haunt me, Father. What in 2017 in my life can only be explained by you, by your work, by your hand, by your doing. And God, what is it that you're asking me to do as we head into 2018? What are you asking of me? What are you asking of us where only you can receive the glory for it? Lord, help us to even understand today. Maybe we feel like you're taking us out on a limb and you're putting us out as far on that limb as we can get. But help us to also know that that's where the fruit is. That's where the fruit is, God. So help us to go out there trusting you. But we just turn the remainder of this service over to you as we as your people just cry out to you, call out to you, God. Forgive us for not following you, for not trusting you you for not believing your presence forgiving us forgive us lord for being satisfied do something in us do something through us god in jesus name amen